You are now in the mix with the Atomic Podcast, where we blow up the news. Welcome to the Atomic Podcast, coming to you from Times Square Live in New York City. Happy Halloween, folks. Today I have a special interview with a Hall of Famer, and this is his first podcast interview ever. So I'm going to bring you, I'm not going to do any intros, you're just going to hear it for yourself, simple, straightforward interview with Mr. Len Rossi. Intellectual stimulations by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. Today I have a special guest with me. He is a Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame New York State Award winner in 2004. He has a Crowbar Award for being one of the toughest in the business. He has over 30 years of wrestling experience. I give you the great Len Rossi. Len, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak with you on the radio. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, too, and I appreciate you giving me the time. Um, so you're in the Big Apple, is that correct? Yes, Big Apple, New York City. Big Apple, New York City. Well, well I'm a, you're from um, Utica, New York, right? Upstate New York? Yeah, my hometown is Utica, New York. I'm born and raised there, and I left there... Oh, I guess in the early 50s to uh, to become a professional, you know, to, to further my career in wrestling. I left there in 1952. 1952? Yeah, approximately 1952. I've gone back for visits, of course. Yeah. Um, um, how was it growing up in Utica, New York, first of all? Like, how was it growing up in, up in New York? Quite nice, really, you know. I was born and raised there and uh, uh, had a lot of friends and a large, you know, large family, so I really enjoyed my upbringing. Uh, my, uh, my father and mother and father both came from the old country, from Italy, yeah. back then. They were immigrants, and uh, we learned how to, uh, you know, work hard and uh, thrive and uh, succeed in life. So it, it was it was nice. It was hard. We were a very poor family, but uh, we always had food to eat and a lot of love in the family. There were five of us in the family. Three uh, three sisters and one brother and myself. Oh wow! So two boys and three girls. Wow! So a lot, a lot of food must a lot of food must have been consumed. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good Italian food. Oh man, I love Italian food. Don't get me started on Italian food right now. Oh my God! You know, my mom, uh, my wife is. Um, a whole mix. She's Italian, Polish, so, you know, I have I have a, a, a fondness for Italian food. Well, great combination. You can't go wrong. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so let me just a little bit fast forward ahead. Um, how did, um, how it's been one of two brothers, how did you get started in wrestling? Like, was this just in school? Was you, like, play fighting in school? And how did the wrestling aspect come about? Well, I guess I was around 15 years old at the time and uh, had lifted weights and wanted to become, you know, get strong. And I would work out at the YMCA. Mm-hmm. Back then, we didn't have a high school wrestling program. It just didn't exist. But the YMCA had a wrestling team. And on the way to the weight room, weightlifting room, the wrestlers were on the mat in a separate room wrestling. And I would look in the window occasionally and kind of poop through the whole idea thinking that, oh my goodness, I could throw one of those guys through the wall real easy. Because I was pretty strong at the age of 15. And one day the wrestling coach 
his name was Eddie Zisk, Z-Y-S-K, and he was about a 148 pounder, and he had uh, asked me a couple of times to come and try out for the wrestling team. Well, I ignored it, figuring that it was just a bunch of baloney, you know. Mm -hmm. But one day I did go out and went out uh, on, on the mat to wrestle with him, and he took me down and rode me like a like a donkey. I couldn't believe it how how he was able to manage me. So I became very interested in the sport, and uh, I got good enough to I made the amateur team at the YMCA, and we would compete against other YMCA's there in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was quite an experience because. Nowadays, of course, in school, they do have weight classes, which they had back then also. But the difference was that in school, most of the young kids were approximately the same age. Mm -hmm. But here I was, 15 years old, maybe 16 at the most. And uh, the, my weight class, I, I wrestled maybe men 25, 30, 40 years old who had a lot of experience. So I learned the hard way. I learned, <laughs> I learned the, the, the pretty rough way. And we would also go up to the, one of the colleges there and, uh, and work out with the college wrestling team. So that's how I started my amateur career. That was approximately, my goodness, I'm dating myself. <laughs> approximately 1945. 1945? Wow. Yes. Was, was, there, was there um a lot of outlets at that time? You know, like now there's like a lot of outlets we have now from like wrestling schools and um, different venues to, for, like, you know, a lot of aspiring athletes to get to. Was YMCA the only venue for you to do it? Yeah, none whatsoever to my knowledge. And this is, this is the truth. I know some people may not believe it, but I never, never had one lesson in my life as far as becoming a professional wrestler. Never. Never heard of a school. Never had an instructor. I just learned the hard way. And back then, most of all the professional wrestlers had a fantastic background as far as an amateur, amateur wrestling or a college wrestler mm -hmm. or ex-boxers, football players. You had a variety of athletes in the profession back then. It's quite a bit different now. Uh, we didn't have any wrestling schools at all. I never had one lesson in my entire life, and that, that's the truth. I just, just learned the hard way. Well, so did um, a lot of people manhandled you? Or did they take advantage since you didn't know anything? You know, did like you know, did they kind of really shoot shoot on you, so to say? Yeah, it was amazing. In fact, my very first professional match was there in my hometown, and we wrestled at the Utica Theater, which was it was it was on a stage actually. The, the ring was set up on the stage in in the theater. And I was, you know, I had the amateurs and thought I was pretty good as an amateur wrestler. And I went for what we call a leg dive or one leg pickup. And boom, up came the knee and broke my nose and I bled all over and oh, I got beat. And that was it. That's where we were, we, we, were, we were, you know, broken into business back then. Never was told anything, what to do, how, what not to do. And I just, uh, you just learned as we went along. Wow, so, like, at 15 years old, like you said, you already, like, you had that passion already, you knew this was for you, this was it, like, once being in the circle, like, this is it? Yeah, I always wanted to be a wrestler ever since I was 14 or 15 years old, a professional, and I would actually go to the matches there in Utica, 
and watch the pros, you know, in the matches and that side and ask for autographs and sign for autographs. I was, I was a big fan back then. Then little by little, I got into the business myself. Uh, see, back then, they had, uh, not like now, but they had what they call territories, different territories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, North Carolina had, was a territory, for example. California had two or three different territories. The Northwest had two or three territories. New York had its own territory. And it was quite different. And every territory had a different uh, promoters and booking agents. So... I would I would write letters and send pictures to all the territories that I knew of at that time to try to get booked. And it was very very difficult getting booked because most of the uh, answers came back. You need you need experience. We can't use you. So on and so on and so on. It was very very difficult to get into the business back then. Not like I guess like now it's quite a bit easier. <laughs> yeah, like now, yeah, because there's. There's an abundance of wrestling schools now, or if you know, there's like you know connections to get into it now. But back then, at, at that time, it was it was very scarce, especially in New York. I don't even remember in upstate New York where there's any, you know, like outlet for, outlets from wrestling, especially upstate in Utica, right? Was there like an outlet for it in Utica? You mean as far as a school? Yeah. No, no, no schools at all. I've never heard, never heard of a school back then in my life, you know. Yeah. As, as I said earlier, we just learned the hard way. Never did have a school. Wow, alright. Um, and also, um, did you, like, when, after getting hurt and you said, like, they were, like, um, you took, like, um, bumps and everything, did you, did, did it scare you or did you want to pursue it? After that, did you really want to pursue it after getting hurt? Well, it scared me a little bit, <laughs> and uh, I was recently married at that time. Yeah, and my wife was scared of that, of course. But uh, I just thought that I would be able to handle myself if I just stayed with it, you know. Yeah, and I, I just couldn't quite figure out what was what was going on in the business at that time. I just, in fact, uh, you know, back then when you first broke into the business, the new guys could not even trust in the same dressing room. And they, they never told you anything or advised you or gave you any information. You just gradually went along and learned what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Well, how did um, being married and, I guess, having kids in the long run, did, did it affect the marriage? Or, like, you know, because... From New York, you eventually moved to Tennessee, but um, did you go by yourself in the beginning, or the whole family went with you? Well, I'll tell you, in that business, like most, uh, well, like a lot of different sports and uh, show business type situations, uh, it takes a real good woman to stay with a man in that business because, uh, you know, it was feast or famine. You yeah. might go to one territory and make a lot of money, you may go to another and just basically started that so it was difficult but uh, at first uh, no I went by myself at my very first territory was in Buffalo I'm sorry not Buffalo but Boston and uh, one of the old time wrestlers got me booked there because previous to that I had some pictures all over the country and could, could not get booked so an old timer by the name of Jackie Nichols Mm-hmm. who wrestled in Utica quite often in Syracuse and Buffalo in that area. And uh, I got to know him pretty well. And he said, I can get you booked in Boston. So 
and got me booked in Boston, mm-hmm. and uh, I rode a train from Utica to Boston by myself. Wow. Yeah, not, you know, my wife or my, my son was, uh, I think my son was just born, or not, not even born yet. And I went there by myself, and I walked into the wrestling office. Pardon? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, you walked to the wrestling office, go ahead. Yeah, I went into the wrestling office and met the uh, old Greek man sitting there with big old cauliflower ears, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this, is, this is true. He, he kind of poked me in the chest and says, what's your name, punk? Call me a punk. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, my name is Len Rossitano. Yeah. And he took a big puff on his cigar and he says, two blankety blank long. He said, your name is Rossi, Lenny Rossi. I said, okay, and uh, <laughs> changed my name. And then this is something very interesting. It may sound corny, but it's true. Yeah. Then he poked me in the chest again, and he says, uh, call me Punk. P-O-N-K. <laughs> hey, Punk, he said, you have best friend. Best friend going to die in two weeks. What you do? And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm tw- what, 21 years old, you know. Yeah. And he kept poking me in the chest. What you do, punk? And I said, well, I guess I'd do everything I could for him. Help him and try to do what's right and just, just be nice to him. And then he took a big puff on his uh, cigar and he says to me, once again, poking me in the chest. Remember, punk, everybody you meet in life has got two weeks to live. You'd be a good boy. And it was very, very touching. No priest has ever told me that, no minister. No one has ever told me that except a little beat-up wrestler. And I try to live my life that way. You know, we've got to be good to each other and try to help help each other and help people. Wow, that's that's it's it's kind of it's kind of morbid yet 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 almost like you learned something from that. That's so weird. Wow. Yeah, I did learn from that. That was a great lesson for me because uh, you know when you meet people, you try to be good to them and try to treat them right. Yeah. And another thing that I've learned too is that uh, it's very very hard to turn the other cheek all the time. But well, sometimes we have to turn the other cheek, and if we dislike somebody. It's best, in my opinion, not to talk bad about them, just uh, ignore them. Don't become friends with them, you know. So there's, there's good and bad, you know, all types of businesses in all situations. The wrestling business, you had a lot of nice people and a lot of bad people. So it was a matter of uh, picking and choosing and see who you want them to hang out with and who not, you not want them to hang out back then. It's quite different back then. It was very, very guarded. And see, here's the thing. Back before TV, there was no TV as far as wrestling was concerned. And let's say that you came to Tennessee as a wrestler, okay? Mm-hmm. And and you became a big star in Tennessee, the main eventer. But it may have taken you six months established in that area because there was no TV and the only way you became established was by working in the wrestling in the arenas every week excuse me because you were not made overnight like you are today with TV so let's say then that I come into the territory 
and I want to get over, so to speak. Well, because it would jeopardize your position, you may not necessarily appreciate me being there. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very competitive, and you might be, try to dissuade me from staying there. And who knows what, by doing what, you know. Mm -hmm. But little by little, as you got to know each other and, and, and visualize what was going on, uh, we made it, you know. But it was quite different because today they can make a star overnight, but by TV exposure. Mm -hmm. So, in a sense, back then, you were a little bit more independent because if you were established and drew money, so to speak, for a promoter, then you could uh, make certain demands and maybe have those demands met because they couldn't replace you overnight like you could be replaced now. Mm. Nowadays, with TV, you could make a star overnight. And that's not just in wrestling. That's in any sport. It's in any uh, show business type situation, musician, the singer. How many great singers do you see on different variety shows that never make the big time? And some of them are bigger than the stars themselves because it's just one of those things. Personality or the ability to draw money. And some great wrestlers back then never, never made it big because they didn't have the charisma to draw money. And of course, promoters... What are they interested in? Drawing money. So if they see something that happens in the ring, they take advantage of that situation, or back then they did, and they may book, you know, me against, oh, that guy, boy, they'll draw some money. That was the main thing, is drawing money for the promoter. Yeah. yeah I see. Um, also, um, getting back into that, um, you, you was just playing Len Rossi. Was there any particular reason why they didn't want to call you Len Rossi Tonio? Was was there, and especially in Tennessee, was it because you was Italian? Did they like what was the whole? Well, the whole concept was that at that time the name was too long to put on a poster. <laughs> oh, that's that's the only reason. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, the name was too long to oh. put on a poster. You see. Okay. But when I first came here to Tennessee, there were very few Italians here because, you know, the South was quite a bit different back then. Yeah. And here's a New Yorker with an Italian name, a Catholic background, <laughs> and uh, just different looking. And it was pretty difficult for people to relate to you. But after a while, I was very blessed and I was accepted in a big, big way and uh, became, not bragging, but very, very popular here. In fact, uh, you know, over the 15-year period probably that I was here, maybe 20 years, I probably drew more money than any other uh, person, you know, ever, uh, continuously. Yeah. See, and here's another thing, too, that's different between, uh, from, between then and today, okay? okay? Just give an example for this territory. I, I rest in a lot of territories. I spent the remainder of my, you know, the last part of career here in Tennessee. Okay, we'd go to Birmingham on a Monday night, right? Yeah. And we'd go back the next Monday, and the next Monday, and the next Monday. And basically, it was the same crew, more or less, the same faces, okay? And we did that for 50 weeks of the year. Now, here's six, eight, ten, twelve wrestlers, the same faces, each and every Monday, drawing capacity houses. Okay. Nowadays, the so-called stars go into a town, 
go maybe once a year. Because, why? Why is the difference? Because back then, we gave them some good solid wrestling that people got to know who they liked and who they disliked. You had your so-called good guy and bad guy. And you had, you had, a, you had a story going, but it was a story that was told in the ring, not on TV. And the story was that the good guy portrayed, uh, you know, I mean, you wrestled scientifically and uh, tried to impress other kids that uh, this is the right way to do things and not the wrong way. And it was just uh, a, a totally different concept than what's going on today. Not that today is bad, I'm not saying it is, but it's just a different concept. It's totally a different situation and a different business. Yeah, it was harder to watch as well, right? Because now we're as you know we're in a technology world today. We're spoiled with the internet. We're spoiled with the network. We're spoiled spoiled on TV. Back at that time, you had to go see it live. Am I correct? Like you had to be there. They, they're going to wrestle Monday. You have to be there Monday to watch these guys wrestle. Well, exactly, exactly. See, and uh, and that TV came in, of course. Yeah. And uh, the live TV would be like on a Saturday, and the Birmingham would be on a Saturday. And uh, you promote your matches on TV for the Monday night events, you see. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, it, was, it, it, it became very, very big, and you drew more people because of more exposure, more TV exposure. But the TVs then were all local. You know, Birmingham had its own TV here in this territory. Chattanooga had its own TV mm-hmm. you know, show. Uh, Nashville had its own TV show. Memphis had its own TV show. Louisville. So there were a lot of different towns that had their own live television shows. Now, some of those towns, some of those TV shows would go out maybe, what, 100 miles or 200 miles. And uh, sometimes they overlapped. But uh, nowadays, it's just more or less national. It was just quite different then. Back then, uh, every territory had its own star, so to speak of. Because uh, they were established in their territory. And if, let's say a big star from New York back then would come to Tennessee, well, they wouldn't draw two cents because nobody knew them. And if a big star from here went up to, up to New York, they wouldn't draw any because nobody knew them. So each individual territory had its own so-called stars. Then when TV came out and it went national, then you created national stars. So everything changes. Yeah, also, so in, in Tennessee... I'm saying you're you're well known in Tennessee, right? More as more more as opposed to New York. Am I right? right. I say that one more. I say I say you're well known more in Tennessee as opposed to New York, right? Like if people in Tennessee, you're like a a legend over there. A lot of part of my career was here in Tennessee. Yeah. And I'll, I'll I'll tell you how big it was. It's it was really unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, my deceased wife and I. It was, it was so big here, we could not go out to eat in Nashville, Chattanooga, Birmingham, you name it. I mean, we could, but people would just mob you for autographs because you were a big celebrity, a big star here locally. But no one would have known me in Texas at that particular time, of course. Mm-hmm. And if a Texan star came here, nobody would have known then. Oh, so you you really had no peace, no peace. Uh, you know, couldn't you couldn't go to a place to eat? You couldn't go to a place to shop. You was just mob. mob. It, was unbe- it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And of course, then too it was different because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, like even now, people say, "I watch to watch you on TV wrestling all the time," and I see you know, older people, and I joke and say, "Well, you had to watch me. There's only three channels. You didn't have any choice." <laughs> <laughs> 
said, hey, hey, there's 10,000 channels, you know what I mean? Yeah. But back then we had, uh, what, ABC, CBS, NBC, and maybe one other channel here, and wrestling was every Saturday night, and people, that was the, I mean, that was the thing to watch. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't realize that it was only like three major stations, you know, especially in the city too. We had, like you said, it was NBC, CBS, and ABC, and then, yeah. you know, we didn't have exactly. all these, I'm sorry? Yeah, so exactly. Now I have, I have TV here, and uh, uh, there's probably 300 stations, you know? <laughs> you don't know which, which, which station to watch. Oh. Yeah, everything changes, everything changes. Yeah. I was going to ask you, too, um, what, what were your top feuds in Tennessee? So, you know, you made your mark over there. What were your top feuds? My top what? No, I'm sorry. Your, your, um, your top feuds in the business. Oh, feuds? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, they... Uh, they mainly specialize in tag team matches, okay? Okay. And we wrestled against uh, the Fargo brothers, who were real big here. Yeah. The Greens were real big here. The interns who were mass men were real big here. The medics were real big here. The Christian brothers were real big here. And uh, you had you had ongoing feuds, of course. And... Uh, <coughs> As I mentioned earlier, and those same four men or six men, whatever it was, drew, drew money every week for 50 straight weeks. Because uh, they, they, they worked hard and wrestled hard, and people got their money's worth. Yeah. Was it basically... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, but was it basically... Just you, you did a lot of singles, but which one do you did you prefer, tags or singles, or it didn't matter as long as you was in the ring? It didn't matter, but I loved working single matches. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was lucky and I won the Southern uh, Junior Heavyweight Championship here and held it off and on for about six years. Yeah. And then uh, with, the, with different tag team partners, we had the NWA, which was National Wrestling Alliance back then. Yeah. And we had their version of the world title here in Tennessee as far as tag team matches. Yeah. And back then it was NWA, National Wrestling Alliance. And most each territory belonged to the NWA, and they had a recognized world champion, see? And Luthez was, at that time, recognized as the world wrestling heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. And he really was great. He was a tough wrestler, and uh, he could actually wrestle, and could actually uh, perform in the ring, and, you know, as they say, now he's put on a show. Yeah. Yeah, and and also in tag team wrestling, um, I read that you was the first to integrate um, um, tag team wrestling with um, the wrestler Bearcat Brown. How did that come about? Can you tell me about the integration of, of that? Yeah, that was really interesting. You see, back then, unfortunately, here in, in the South, uh, when a black man came in here to wrestle, he usually wrestled against another black man. Black wrestler, they they just didn't mix the, the the white and the blacks back then. So, of all places in Birmingham, Alabama, which was a hotbed of segregation, now we're going back into in the fifties, you know, hotbed of segregation. And I had asked the promoter to please make Bearcat Brown my tag team partner. His real name was Matt Jule. He was from Atlanta, and. The I was scared of that. He said, oh, we can't do that. We'll have riots. We'll have this and that. And I begged him and begged him and begged him. So finally, on live TV in Birmingham, Alabama, Bearcat Brown, who was a black wrestler, mm-hmm. uh, came to my rescue when I was in trouble in a match in, in, in the ring. 
Monday night for the matches, it was unbelievable. They turned literally, I know you had your Mateus, thousands of people were there. They lined up. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, the Ku Klux Klan picketed the building, bomb threats. It was just unreal. And uh, I was a little bit concerned, you know. And uh, Bearcat Brown said, man, what are we going to do? I'm sure you bet. He says, he said, just hold my hand and start singing, we shall overcome. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Oh my no, God! That, and he actually became probably my best friend in that business. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He was, and we drew money, unbelievable money, in every town that we went to. Bearcat Brown, Lynn Oh wow. Yeah. How long did you guys team up for? Well, I'm trying to think. Uh, probably five or six years, I imagine. And then I was I was involved in a very very bad car wreck, yeah. and that took us you know put us apart of course, and I had to I had to quit the business. Oh well, what could you could you give a little bit of detail what happened in the car wreck? Well, I had wrestled in, in, in Louisville that morning at a TV show and drove back to Nashville, okay. and then that night we were booked in Tupelo, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So this other wrestler said that he would drive because he knew that I was pretty tired, you know, having having worked that that morning in, in Louisville. So his name was Cowboy Frankie Lane, L A I N E. So he drove the car, and I was passenger in the car, mm-hmm. and we were headed for Tupelo, Mississippi. That's Elvis Presley's hometown, <laughs> and. I was nodding off in the car about half asleep, and this was December 8th, the day after Pearl, not the year of Pearl Harbor, but this day after Pearl Harbor, December 7th, this was the 8th. And all of a sudden, I just woke up and said, watch it, watch it, watch it, and bang, he plowed into a car. There was a big three, three or four car piled up on the interstate. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty bad. There were, there were two killed in the other cars, and... I happened to look back behind me and there was a big tractor and trailer coming, so I thought we were going to be crushed, and I couldn't open the door because my right arm was broken, or I didn't know it was broken, but I couldn't open the door, and I managed to open the door with my left hand and rolled into the ditch, and how that tractor and trailer got through, I don't know, it was a miracle, and uh, they took me to the hospital, I was laying in the ditch, and I was pretty, pretty scared, and... Uh, me to a hospital in uh, Lexington, Tennessee. There was nothing they could do there, so they sent me to Jackson, Tennessee. Nothing they could do there, and then they took me back to Nashville in an ambulance, and uh, I, I stayed in the hospital for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they put me out of that business. And I tried to make a little comeback after that, but uh, I had dropped a lot of weight, and I just, it was just too rough, couldn't do it. And uh, my son Joey, we tag teamed, he and I were, we tag teamed for a while, yeah. and we were one of the only father and son teams in the business. My son Joey was a pretty good, darn good high school wrestler yeah. who called Maplewood here in Tennessee, in Nashville. And he won the regional titles as an amateur and went to the state for the state title. But uh, when he went to the state, he had mono and was sick pretty bad. And the kid that he beat in the regionals uh, beat him in the state, so he did not win the 
I would go work out and I taught him some of the ropes about professional wrestling and he later turned professional. He was one of the, at that time, one of the youngest in the business to, to turn professional. And I, back in my day, I was one of the youngest ever to turn professional also. So the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So he was almost in, you know, the same. He was paralleling each other, your son and, and you. Oh yeah, we made a lot of trips together. We were, we were good, not just father and son, but we, you know, good, real good friends, good buddies. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you have children or not, but the daddy is supposed to be the mentor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he was. He was actually my mentor. Wow. Yeah, he was he was a brilliant guy, very, very well schooled in history and the constitution and things of that nature. In fact he became an alderman here in my hometown of Nolensville. And he would have been the next mayor had he lived, but it just wasn't meant to be. Wow. That was a, my granddaughter's dad, my son Joe. Yeah. So everything changes. But anyway, back in you back to Utica again and uh this is before I turned actually professional, this semi-pro. Back then, they would have what they called smokers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. The reason they called them smokers is like the Moose Club and the Elks Club and the Lions Club, places like that. Mainly, women did not go to those places back then. And everybody was smoking and drinking beer and all, you know, men. So they called them smokers. Yeah. Well, they used to have boxing exhibitions and wrestling exhibitions and these smokers. And I would get in, in the ring and, and, and wrestle and uh, semi-pro and uh, <laughs> some of those drunks, you know, they jump in the ring and you fight for your life but like being in a street fight. Yeah. And then uh, afterwards, they'd, they'd throw 25 cents or 50 cents in the ring and we, and we split the money. And that's when I met uh, the, a fighter by the name of Conan Basilio, who was from upstate New York, and he later became the world's welterweight champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I met him at one of these the smokers in that Y also. And I used to spar a little bit with one of our local fighters there. We had a fighter by the name of Len Taglia, T-A-G-L-I-A. He was 148-pound welterweight, and we used to spar, but uh, wrestling was my love, you know. I just, I didn't care for the boxing that much. Totally, totally different sport. <laughs> but I, I got pretty good with it, but it, it was not my thing, you know. Yeah. You know, wrestling is, is your only thing. It was still in your heart, right, as opposed to that. Yeah, I just loved wrestling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and back then... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back then, I had several mixed matches against uh, wrestler versus boxer. Boxer with the uh, boxing rules and wrestling with wrestling rules. And I was, I was, you know, I, I beat every one of them at that time. I was in real good shape. And once, once you take them down, they're, they're lost. They're done. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the legs are spaghetti, right? Once you grab their legs, and that's it. That's it. They're done, yeah. In fact, back in the, I think it was the 60s, I, I can't remember exactly, but we issued a challenge to Muhammad Ali uh, in a Nick Boxer versus wrestling match, and it made the, it made the big news here, big headlines, but the match never materialized. And later on, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali wrestled a, a mixed match with uh, a Japanese fellow named Anuki. Yeah, Tony Anuki, yeah. Yeah, Antonio Anuki, that's right, yeah. who I knew very well. I wrestled with him in Japan several times, and he was also my tag team partner here. 
But uh, he and uh, he and uh, Muhammad Ali had a match, and uh, and and that's a lot to be desired. Yeah. Like he was he, um, Antonio Noki was on the mat on on his back the whole time, right? From what I remember. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. yeah. I think they had a, I think they had a mutual agreement to not hurt each other. Yeah. And, and I really think you know I may be wrong, but I really feel that if I Noki wanted to beat him, he could have beat him in about yeah. three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You're just showing some respect, I guess. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, look. Let's say that you go into a clinch. You, I mean, you break your arm. You know what I mean? You pop your elbow. They're, they're done. They're, they're taken down. You see, what a lot of people don't realize, too, about these mixed matches, I'm, I'm, I'm a legitimate mixed match. They picture a wrestler going to go standing up like they do in a wrestling match. You're not going to do that. You're going to go down on your hands and knees. You're going to lay down the guy and take him down. You're not going to walk in straight ahead and, and keep your face open for a, 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 a stiff jab or a punch. You see, that? It's, just, it's, it's just different yeah. if you're in that type of a match. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That makes sense or not? No, no, it definitely makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Um, did you sure. ever go? Did you ever go to Japan too and and wrestle? Oh yeah, I was in Japan for uh, about eight weeks on the eight week tour, and uh, I, I wrestled against Anuki there. And here in Tennessee, he was my tag team partner. Wow, I didn't even know that. Is is there any way to look at those? Um, is is it on YouTube or anything? Or you know, <laughs> see. Back then, they did not have any, uh, what do you call it, uh, video like now. Yeah. And they had big reel-to-reels. The TV stations had these big reel-to-reel rows. Yeah. I knew all the engineers back then, and they were always done me a copy for my memorabilia. Yeah. And I had a big stack of uh, those big reel-to-reel rows, probably from the floor six foot up. And in 1982, this was, of course, Astro's out of the business. We had a, a, a house fire, and uh, I lost all my memorabilia. Mm-hmm. So, so since 1982, I've been trying to find some matches of me wrestling, and I couldn't find any. Mm-hmm. And one day, about three weeks ago, my dear friend from Utica, New York, Dr. Bryla, called me. He said, you'll never believe what I found. I said, what? He said, I found a match of you on YouTube uh, wrestling out of Chicago. Yeah. And sure enough, my granddaughter, Alexis, uh, looked it up while we were in Florida on vacation. And there it was, clear as a bell. I couldn't believe it. But of course, I was, I, in my opinion, I was going to be green back then, but they all said it was a good match. Yeah. Oh, do you remember the um, um, what was the match that's on YouTube so people could see it if they want to take a look at it? Yeah, it's called it's YouTube, but just punch in the YouTube and Chicago Wrestling and punch in Lynn Rossi, and it's there. Okay. It's about a 30-minute match. Yeah, who, who, who was your opponent? Uh, the man's name was Tor, T-O-R Yamata. Yeah. Oh. Yamata, Japanese wrestler. And ironically, later on, that was, that was about 1954 or 55, later on in about 1960... I came to Tennessee in 1958. About 1960, he came to, to, to Nashville to wrestle. And uh, he and I had a lot of matches here. Of course, I was a main eventer then. And uh, we drew a lot of big money in Birmingham and Chattanooga and Nashville, all of us. And he was asked Tori Yamata. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you, well, you had an illustrious career, Len. Oh my God. <laughs> I was, well, I was just, huh? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. thing um um I want to say before I, I get off with you um how was that how was it when you and your son wrestled Angelo and Lanny Poffo how did that how did that match turn out Oh that was great it was big money with that it was one of the few father and son teams in the business back then and I think it was here in Nashville and the best I remember I'm not a hundred percent sure because we had so many matches I I think that Joey and I won the match I'm almost I'm almost sure we did mm-hmm. but you know. Back to boxing again. I, I'm, I was a pretty big boxing fan, not now, but I was at one time. And you hear the commentators just say, well, gee, this man's had 48 fights, or this man's had 62 fights. This man's had 28 fights. And I sat down one day with my wife, my, my current wife. I said, you know what? Let me, let's figure this out how many matches I've had in my career. So going back, say, 25 years, mm-hmm. and back then, there were two out of three fall matches. So it was almost like three matches in one night. Oh my God. Not like today. And some matches lasted an hour, and some were 90 minutes, believe it or not. And I figured out that I had 6,000 matches. 6,000. Okay, let's assume that people think and say it's 99% fake. Okay, let's, let's assume that. Mm-hmm. Well, you're being slammed 6,000 times. You're being thrown in the turnbuckle 6,000 times. You're being hit with elbow smashes 6,000 times. Then the turnbuckle 6,000 times. You know what I mean? Come on, let's face it. It's a tough business. Yeah, yeah it definitely is. You know, a lot. And the thing about, you know, you know, you get those critics and people that say, oh, wrestling is fake, this, this, and that. But, you know, it's... It's it, it puts its hold on the body, you know. Are, are there injuries now that you have that you never healed from? Besides, you know, before the car accident, I guess, you know, were there wrestling injuries injuries that you had in the in the ring? Oh yeah, right now I have my right arm was broken. I still can't straighten it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, neck problem. I had lumbar laminectomy in my lower back from being body slammed. Uh, I, I had broken ribs when I was wrestling in Boston. And believe it or not, I needed the money so bad. My son Joey was only about one year old. I put a jersey on and taped myself up and wrestled with a broken rib oh to, make, to make a living. Wow. Yeah, it was quite different back then. And uh, one time I went to a territory in the was like, let's see, I think it was Oregon. And, uh, you know, uh, it, was, it was awful. I couldn't get booked or solid. And I actually lived on peanut butter and bread. <laughs> and I would send my deceased wife a money orders for a dollar, two dollars, whatever, whatever I could afford. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, you, had a, you really loved the business back then to be in it, see. 
I mean, I wouldn't do that today. I'm, no way would I do that today. Nobody. You'd have to be crazy to do that. But that's what we did back then. I would work out. See, so, you know, I, I, my, my father, God rest his soul, he was, he was a, uh, a, a, a cattle dealer. We had a slaughterhouse in, in back of our back in our garage in the backyard, and I would have to slaughter cattle and calves and cows to you know sometimes at one or two in the morning, and I'd go work out at one or two in the morning, and I wanted to become a wrestler so bad that I just trained and trained. Any anything that a person wants in life, whether it's it's a, a performer, an entertainer, a, a radio man like yourself, you have to work at it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, two more questions before I get off with you. Um, what do you think about guys like Terry Funk and like Ric Flair still wrestling in the business at at their age now? How do you feel about that? Yeah, like like Terry Funk still wrestling. Like, how how do you feel about that? Checkout time, right? It should definitely be. I think so. But hey, if they're fortunate to make big money and still do it, why not? Let yeah. them do it. That's fine. Exactly. Um, and Len, um, um, what are you doing right now? What's 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 in the future right now for Len? What 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 you got going on now? Well, after my career ended, I went back to school uh, and studied nutrition. I went to Belmont University, okay. and then I did a four-year study course out of the school out of London, uh, out of the South. I'm sorry, out of England mm-hmm. for my doctor's degree as a naturopathic doctor, N.D., not M., but N., yeah. and a career study course uh, out of uh, Colorado for my nutrition degree, and we opened a health food store, and I'm into natural healing now. We work with a lot of people as far as helping them regain their health. We're very interested in a natural approach to healing. We work with uh, cancer patients, heart disease, high blood pressure, whoever wants to use the natural approach. And we're blessed we have a good uh, reputation with some of the medical doctors who refer people to us. So that's what I'm doing now. I just turned 85. I love what I'm doing. I love wrestling when I was doing it. And I love what I'm doing now. So I'm blessed. 85? You sound like you're 25. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I turned 85 uh, a month ago. Wow. I'm I'm happy happy belated. (laughs) Thank you. God made me, and then he said, I think I'll make some dirt now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, is, is the health food facility, is it, um, um, give me the hours, tell, tell the people the hours when it's open. And... Oh, we're open from 10 a.m., uh, uh, natural time, of course, to, yes. to 5 p.m., every day but Sunday. Every day but Sunday? Oh. Yeah. And we have our own brand of vitamins. I've been with the same company for over 35 years. We have specialty items that are made for Dr. Lynn Rossi, the top quality. You know, 
It's like anything else. There's a big difference in quality depending on what you buy and where you buy it. There's a, there's a big difference in the quality of, of uh, nutritional supplements, too. And there's so much research that has gone on now as far as the benefits of certain nutrients to help, to help uh, certain illnesses and diseases and uh, maintain good health, you know? Yeah. Um, um, do you believe in, in vitamins as opposed like... Let's say if a person is overweight and there's like a certain type of supplement that they should take to lose weight, do you recommend any type of vitamins they can take or? Well, yeah, well, let me say this about that category. Okay. There's no magic pill as far as losing weight, but there are some nutrients out there that can help to gradually increase the metabolic rate, but the only way to lose weight is to watch the diet and exercise. That's the only legitimate real way to do it. Now, the supplements will help, but a person cannot take supplements and keep eating whatever they want to eat and not exercising and lose weight. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Totally agree. You know, that's that's what I have to do. <laughs> um, um, another thing. Um, your daughter Roxy, she's also in the business as well. Um, tell me, tell me what's 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 your opinion on that as a grandfather? How do you feel about your granddaughter being in the wrestling business? Well, of course, I was concerned that she might get hurt because it's a tough business, you know. And uh, I was. Uh, <clears throat> I was never into uh, into lady wrestling that much as far as them being in the business, but uh, I think she's done really, really well. She's become a star in her own way. She's a beautiful, nice-looking young lady, and I'm all for whatever she wants to do. I'll back her 110 percent, you know. But I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I think it's too rough of a business for a nice person to be into, to be honest with you. Yeah, you have to have a little bit of an edge, right, to be in. Yeah, yeah. You have to, it's, 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 it's a, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a cultural business in a way. So you, you have to, you have to be a, a tough person to be in it. Yeah. But she's a, she's a, she's a Rossi. You know, friends are, you know, it's like any other job. I mean, look, you, 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 you can, let's say you're around 10 radio announcers, and you might like only two of them. Well, that's the two that you hang out with. Yeah. you don't hang out with. It's having the rest of the or any, any profession or any job, any factory. You don't hang around with people that, uh, that are not nice people. Yeah, that's true. That that's in I know that's in um um any walk of life too. You know, you're gonna have some a holes, and you're gonna have some people who you know are being honest and open about stuff with you. You know, that's I think that's like anywhere in any business, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. But in the rest of the business, it's very it's very difficult to uh, it, it, it's very difficult to be a hundred percent honest and succeed. It, it's 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 a tough business, not just in the ring, but behind the scenes. A lot of politics going on. <laughs> That's Roxy on the line as well. <laughs> yeah, on the line. Yeah, I know. So you're extremely proud of her. I, 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 I can see it. I can hear it. I can, you know. Yeah, yeah, she's a beautiful girl. Very nice. Yeah. Very, very nice girl. Oh, she's been my biggest fan. 
I've always been his biggest fan, so. Yeah. It's definitely got to be hard being the third generation, too, you know. Yeah. Well, it's very, very hard because no matter how good your, your son or daughter is, all the friends will say, he's good, but not as good as his dad, or he's good, but not as good as his, or, as her mom, you know what I mean? It's, it's very hard, even in the music business, if, if the son gets into the same business, oh, he's great, but not like his dad. It's, it's baloney, sometimes you're better than his dad, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely hard shadow to, to get off, you know, it's a big hard monkey sure. in the back, as you would say. Sure, sure. You know, well, Len, I, I appreciate you giving me your, you know, the time for the interview. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I can keep going with you, but you know, I, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, though. But um, if you want to, pl- oh, okay, no, no problem. So I'll, I'll, it's we're going on. No time limit now, then. So um. Um, I, what, what what did you think about um Angelo Poffo in the ring? Like, how was he as opposed to Lanny Poffo? Were their styles were the same, or? I think Lanny did more aerial work than his dad did. His dad was more of a uh, a, a, a threat type, you know, the ground wrestler. Yeah. And his dad was a rough, tough wrestler. Lanny, I think, uh, did more high, you know, high flying stuff, the best I remember. But Lanny was they were both very, very good. They're both very, very good performers. Very good. Oh, um, and Mac- Macho Man, of course, was, uh, was the better, you know. Yeah. 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 You see, like with, like, with Macho Man, do you think he overshadows um, his father and his brother? Or or do you think that they lived up to Angelo? What do you think about that? You know, since it's like a third generation, you know, second generation. I think he definitely overshadowed both of them because of the publicity that he got with the national TV, you see. When Angela was in the business, in my day at least, I mean, it wasn't national like now. And Macho Man was pushed very, very good by the promoters. And he uh, created a, uh, he created a uh, character for himself, and he did really, really well in the business, sure. So in a, in a sense, he overshadowed him in that respect that probably more people knew him that he was uh, of his of his father, see? Yeah. Oh, um, um, I forgot to talk to you about Tex Riley. You also teamed up with him, too. Um, tell me a little bit about Tex. Tex Riley was a master. A, a master. When I came to Nashville, Tennessee, he was my first tag team partner. And I learned a lot from him about psychology. Mm-hmm. Tex had a lot of psychology in, in the wrestling ring, and he was a great, great uh, manipulator and knew uh, what would draw money and what would not draw money. And he, he taught me a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of the psychology when you're in the ring wrestling. And Tex Riley was absolutely great, great. He was, he was a very big, excuse me, very big name here in, in, in this part of the country. Well, well, what was the story? I read a story about him falling asleep in a tag match with you. Could you tell me about that? Ted had one more time now. Huh? Oh, oh no, it's all right. Um, there was um, there was a story that I read that um, he fell asleep while you was in the tag match. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yeah, true story. Tex <laughs> uh, used to like to play cards. He, he gambled quite a bit, and uh, I think he liked to indulge in uh, adult 
Yeah. So I picked him up one day and we went to Jackson, Tennessee to wrestle. And he was my tag team partner. It was a tag team match, two or three flat match. And we were wrestling against the Green Brothers, Don and Al Green. Yeah. Well, I started the match and worked as hard as I could, as long as I could, and I went to Tex tech, Riley. <laughs> and he was sound asleep in the corner. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously the Greens, the Greens beat me, you know. And uh, when, we left the, when we left the ring going back to the dressing room, one of the old guys was... Old, you know, I don't know if he was old, but one of the fans said, hey, what's wrong with you, Ronnie? And I said, oh, he's sick. That's what's wrong with him. And the guy said, yeah, he's sick. Okay, I can smell the booze from here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He, was he completely knocked out, though? Was he, like, like just snoring? Or he, he, was, just... he was asleep. Yeah, he was asleep. <laughs> Not daydreaming, but he was, he was actually out. Oh, man. Oh. Oh, another thing <laughs> that's funny. Um, um, have you ever had any inter um interactions or any matches with Jerry the King Lawler? Oh, I had a lot of matches against him, I'm sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, when he first came there, we helped not get him started, but yeah, basically helped get him started. Jerry the King Lawler had a lot of good matches with him against him, and he became a very, very big star here in Memphis, especially. He. Uh, was a consistent money drawer. Yeah, he, he did very well here in Tennessee, and he's done very well with the uh, with the big organization in New York City too. Jerry King Lawler, very very nice. Yeah, very good, very talented. I have a photo here that he uh, was actually a painting, a picture that he did of me when I was young, and it was by Jerry the King Lawler. He was a great artist. He was very very talented, not only in the wrestling ring but in other avenues of life too. He was very good. Oh, wow, wow. Um, what about any interactions with um, superstar Bill Dundee? Bill Dundee, yeah. I think he's from Australia originally, I believe. Yeah. Or New Zealand. I think it's Australia. Yeah, I wrestled Bill Dundee quite a few times against him and also with him. He was another great performer. Him and Jerry Lawler had feuds going for quite a while here in Memphis in the area, and they drew some big money. Well, at, 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 that, at that time, you know, there was drawing a lot of money in Tennessee. Um, is it is it still like the hotbed of wrestling? You think at at this time now, or has it died down? No, it's, it's changed completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if they have a regular territory here now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really don't know. But uh, I think they still have wrestling in some of these towns. I, I don't attend anymore, but it's back then. It was really big, really, really big. Yeah. And in fact, in Memphis, Tennessee, a good friend of mine named Billy Wicks, yeah. he was not known any place but here, he and Spud McMunroe drew the biggest gate ever, ever, in, 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 in Memphis history as far as attendance. Yeah. Not money-wise, because of course the prices changed so much, but in attendance, Rocky Marciano was the referee. Yeah. That drew the biggest gate that had, the, the, the record's never been broken. Yeah. Spot McMunro was a big name in Memphis. Yeah. Did did um he had a son that also wrestled as well or no? Big hand, I'm sorry. Did he had a son that also wrestled as well, Sputnik Monroe? That I don't I don't know. Oh, okay. I really do not know. Okay. Um also I want to talk to you about the um I never did, never did meet him. 
Oh, okay. I, was, I also want to talk to you about the um, documentary, Memphis Heat. Um, what was the documentary about? Because I, I, I haven't even seen it. So can you tell, me, can you tell us a little details on the Memphis Heat? Memphis Heat is a great, great documentary that took them, I think, they said that it two years or five years, I can't remember, for them to put it together. And it's basically all about the wrestling, mainly in Memphis, but uh, throughout the South here. And it's, it's great. It's a lot of wrestling action, and then what they do, they, they do different interviews from different wrestlers in different parts of the country, talking about the business, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. And I had, a, I had a small part in it, but it was really, really good. And uh, I got to see, uh, okay, the, the director and producer sent me two passes to go see Memphis Heat in Memphis to the premiere. Well, I've been away from it so long, but this is a true story. I said, I'm not going. And I just threw the tickets on my desk there in my office at the store. So a friend of mine who's not a wrestler, or no, not an ex-wrestler, called me and said, what are you doing Thursday? This was back in March a couple of years ago. I said, nothing. Why? He said, yeah, you're going to Memphis. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. You're going to see Memphis Heat. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> Look, I've got the room rented, I've got my car full of gas, you're going with me. So we went to Memphis. And we got there a little bit early, and I went up to the box office at the theater. The motel that we were staying was real close to the theater. And a young lady said, uh, I said, can, I, can you tell me when Memphis Heat starts? She said, it's 7 p.m. And she said, but you can't buy any tickets. I said, why not? She said, let's go only people associated with the with the movie. The public can come at nine at the nine o'clock show. I said, is anyone here associated with the with the movie I can talk to? She, she said, no, nobody here. Well, I left my passes at the store. I didn't bring them with me. I forgot them. <laughs> so, everyone back in the town changed, and we went back to the theater, and we on the sidewalk, and the producer, like, oh, come on in. We went in, of course. And it was just like you see on TV. I couldn't believe it, because I've never been to a premiere. The big, long, red carpet, you know? Mm-hmm. And we walked on the carpet, and they interviewed us, interviewed me about the about the movie and about wrestling. It was just great. You have to you have to go you have to see it. It's wonderful. And the place was jam packed. It was so loud, just packed. Then a nine o'clock performance for the for the public was packed also. And they had the mayor there and the mayor of the, the city, the mayor of the county, Shelby County, they had uh, uh, a lot of uh, real estate people there, big shots, you know, uh, car dealers and they all made little speeches thanking the wrestlers for putting Memphis on the map. It was just really a great, great premiere. Very good. Well, the, um, well, um, was there a lot of, re- um, do you know, like, the wrestlers, like, I'm sure Jerry Lawler's on it, Bill Dundee, yourself. Do you remember anybody else that's on the documentary? Well, it features mainly Jerry Lawler, but Jackie Fogg is in it, Tordor Yamamoto's in it, Billy Ricks is in it. Uh, there are so many, so many I've been in, I can't remember, I can't even remember all the names. Yeah. Not a small part in it. But it was really, really good. You, you, you need to see it. The public needs to see it. See it. Memphis Heat, H-E-A-T. What yeah, that definitely want to check that out. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it's probably online or something. I'll probably look for it and check it out. Um, Len, um, any any closing words? Anything you want to say to the public out there? Anything you want to say to the fans? Is this your first podcast interview, or have you done others? I think you're my first. 
All right, all right. So we broke ground today. <laughs> is, that, is, is there anything you want to say to your fans out there, or anything you want to say to the public out there? Well, mainly is uh, you know if they are wrestling fans, which of course they are, because enjoy matches, have a good time. Don't worry about if it's fake or real. Just enjoy it, and and, and you can appreciate the fact that uh, whoever is in that performing is working very hard to please you, the fan, and not themselves. So just enjoy, enjoy it, and be good to each other, and love people, and uh, try to stay healthy. Yep. And then they can, if, if they want to stay healthy. If we're blessed to live to be 100 years old, if we're blessed. <laughs> I know, and then if, just, if they want to stay healthy, they can go to your health food facility as well, am I correct? Oh, I'm not from the town, sure. <laughs> and, and, and where is that? Is it is in Tennessee, right? Brentwood, Tennessee? Brentwood, Tennessee. Okay, alright, no problem. Do you want to give the number out if anybody wants to call, or they can just look it up online too, right? And look it up online on LenRussyHealthcare.com uh, and the phone number, if you're interested, 615-373-9242. And also, I do, as a naturopath, if anybody's interested, if they have a health problem or an illness, we also do telephone consultations as well as personal consultations. Of course, we charge for phone consultations, but uh, we, we counsel with them, advise them what to do, and how to change your lifestyle, how to overcome whatever problems you're having, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart disease, whatever the problem is. There's always something there that God has put here on earth for us to heal ourselves with. And we generally try to work in cooperation with your, with your doctor, but we don't interfere with what the doctor wants to do, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um. Is there any supplements you're taking now as well as the, at, at the health store? Is anything that that that's like like you know if if anybody wants to take certain vitamins, there's anything you could recommend like like vitamin C or anything? Is anything? You know, vitamins are like a symphony. Okay. Yeah. much Len I appreciate that and um, hopefully we can talk again in the near future and um, my best to your granddaughter well God bless you thank you for talking to me and if you ever in this part of the country come and see us oh definitely definitely I'll hold you up to that <laughs> thank you so much you'd be more than welcome okay you have the phone number 615 373 
Thank you, and God bless. All right, God bless you, Len. Thank you.